Mic, mic check, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Am I coming through? Okay. Um, good morning, everyone. It's incredibly full this morning. This is awesome. Um, so if you don't know who I am, real quick, my name is Sia, and I lead Kids Church up here. A uh, few things to report back on. So we just came back from our Kids Church camp la- last week. Um, it was incredible. If your kids missed out, they missed out. Trust me. Um, ask the kids that went, what happened? Uh, so our theme for camp was Come Holy Spirit. A couple of the kids had genuine Holy Spirit encounters, um, which was remarkable. Uh, and the others, I believe, also had something. It'll just take time to manifest itself. Um, but it was an incredible camp. Um, we had 35 kids, 15 leaders for the kids. A couple of parents came along as well. Uh, I don't know if Vlad is here, but he came along with these two boys. Um, but it was an incredible camp. We're definitely going to do one next year. Uh, so keep... A lookout. Uh, that's one thing. Second thing, welcome back, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> Bern is looking very pregnant, um, which is great. She's coming back just to leave again on maternity leave sometime early next year. Okay. Um, uh, what else? I want to say something else. Uh, okay, I think, I think I've covered all my bases. So uh, we're going to get into this preach. If you've missed out in the past couple of weeks, uh, Ross opened up the series. So Isbusiso means the, the blessing. Uh, and the tagline, do something kif, is the idea is that you would be the blessing uh, to our city. So we normally do one of these series uh, once a year. Um, they used to be called San Mona, uh, part one and part two. But we, this year we decided to call it Isbusiso because um, we wanted our church to be the institutor or the pioneer of being a blessing in our city. So... So I'm hoping that over the past little while in, in our city service event that you were also uh, able to attend that, that where you could actually be a blessing in the city. If you didn't, don't feel bad. There's still opportunities for you to be a blessing in the city. I'll highlight one of those at the back end of my message. Ross opened us up with the idea of what does God think about cities? Uh, the idea was, the original idea was the plan started in the garden but it was always going to end up in a city. But obviously with the fall, things were broken. And therefore the, the journey of seeing that city materialize wasn't going to be as God intended it to be. But God still has a plan and a vision for cities. So he unpacked what that looked like um, and what the current situation is in cities. It's not great everywhere. Some places are great, but that's because they're like utopias. Some places aren't so great because things are just terrible, but things aren't always great in cities. And then he also told us how we should actually view cities through God's eyes. So yes, you might see the bad things in our city as well, but what, what does God see in the city? And that's the lens that we should apply um, to our own eyes as we look at the city. And then Gary's... I spoke last week about the generosity, God's generosity towards cities. I believe that God's generosity towards cities is his people. You, right here, is God's gift to this city. So he unpacked um, Genesis chapter 18. Go have a listen at those two sermons if you missed them. But this week, I want to speak about speaking. Speaking about the city and speaking in general. So I don't know if you know know the phrase... Um, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words could never hurt me. Whoever came up with that 
has never had anything terrible said to them, ever. Because words scar. Words can hurt. Bones heal, yes. But someone could say something to you when you were 12, and that thing could haunt you until you were 72. A broken bone can heal in a few months. Words carry power, carry weight. In case you didn't notice, I'm black. Um, <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that means... So that means, uh, for us, in our culture, words are even more important. So I've heard some of the kids call their, their parents by name. Blew my mind the first time I heard it. I was at my, my friend's house, and he, and he called his mom by her name. So I looked at him, I was like, you do this in this house? I tried it at home, it didn't go so well. <laughs> but that's because in our culture, words carry so much weight. The words that you use to people afford them respect. Even beyond that, the, because of how you speak, it leads you, it leads you to act a certain way. So when you greet someone in Zulu, especially someone older, you don't stand at their level. That's how much weight is in the words that you're saying. So if I'm greeting, say, let's pretend Paul was black. Um, <laughs> if I was greeting Paul, he's obviously really taller than me, but I would, I would sort of crouched down as a form of respect to him because of the words that I'm saying. Words are incredibly powerful. Some people use them in the wrong way. I've, I have a girlfriend now, um, and I've had to learn <laughs> certain, certain, <laughs> certain things, and like you have to learn to choose your words very carefully. <laughs> very carefully. All the married men in this room, you know what I'm talking about. Babe, how do I look in this? You look great. Um, if you take too long, it's also not good, because that's also words. Um, <laughs> but it, I just lost my train of thought. Um, it's because you're so beautiful, babe, distracting me. Okay, let's just carry on from words, carry weight. So now I'm, I'm relatively young, so I haven't been in conversations where, where people speak ill of the city. I haven't been in those conversations, but it would be naive of me to believe that those conversations don't happen, because they do. And you might find yourself in those groups, in those circles, and because it's so easy to jump on the bandwagon, you find yourself also speaking ill of the city. The reason that Ross's first sermon is so important because how we see the city can dictate what we say about the city. So how do you see our city? I love that we sang that song, you're the God of this city. At the end of this message, I'm hoping that regardless of what you see, we can still make the choice to speak life into our city. Regardless of the things that are happening, we still, uh, our spirits are, still, are so full of God's perspective of the city that we choose to speak life over our city. Because Proverbs 18.21 tells us that the tongue has power of life and death. And those who love it will, um, something its fruits, will eat its fruits. There is power in the words that you say. In certain situations, 
where things are bad, people can say weird things. I remember when my dad passed away. Someone, so before he passed away, he got sick. Um, there's this bacteria where your intestines kind of, or oh, I don't know if it's bacteria, but like where your intestines kind of knot themselves. He had that. So he went to hospital, had surgery, and I think two or three months later, he passed away in a car accident. So in the midst of all of that, someone comes up, uh, at least I think I heard it like making my way to, to the room or something. Someone says, um, if only he had died sooner. <laughs> what? If only he had died then, because that way uh, people are prepared or we would have prepared ourselves. We can't be so flippant with our words, especially when it comes to this city. Here's what I want you to do at the end of this, is to put yourselves in those conversations where people are speaking ill of the city and you be the light that's speaking life into the city. Find those circles and be better because of what you see um, or how you see the city through God's eyes. We're going to look at a, at a way that we can do that. Part of that is worship. Worship isn't just what we do here where we sing songs where it seems like Christian karaoke. It's so much bigger and broader than that. But uh, Justin, I think Justin Elson, our worship pastor, says that worship is, aren't just words raised up, but a life laid down. That our lives are worship in the city. And one of the scriptures that we're going to look at um, within another scripture is Proverbs 100, 100, verse 4, where it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise him. But I want to look at a story within the context of that scripture. So there's a character in the Bible. His name is Jehoshaphat. So do you remember my, my preach about digging ditches? He's the king of, uh, king of Judah. So he uh, allied himself with King Jehoram, and they fought King Moab. And they had to dig some ditches. He had a near-death experience. And after hearing about the fact that I think King Moab wanted to uh, offer his son as a as a sacrifice, he was like, okay, that's me done. And he returns back to Judah. And when he returns, there are three armies, not right when he returns, but like after a little while, there are three armies that are about to attack Judah. So he comes into a space now where the city isn't looking to um, have a fruitful future. Because three versus one, I mean, we can do the math there. But there's something that he does in the midst of receiving this news that I believe that could be the posture of our hearts when things aren't looking that great. Our response can be somewhat similar to his. We can learn a little bit of how we respond to certain situations because of how he responded to these situations. But before I carry on, I'd like to pray. Is that cool? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can be in your house. Father, won't you open our hearts to what you want to say to us today? And whatever, however your spirit chooses to move, won't we be obedient to the move of your spirit? Wherever you call us to go, whatever you call us to do, won't we boldly, boldly lay down our lives for the sake of seeing a city changed? In your name we pray.
Amen. Amen. So, the guys that have been coming for a while, you know there are three things you're allowed to say while I preach. Number one, amen. Number two, preach it. Number three, ride that bus. All are acceptable. <laughs> so this, we're going to pick up the story in 2 Chronicles, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 3. Uh, so that he's just received the news, and this is what he says. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came, uh, they came to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord, in front of uh, the new courtyard, and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it, to, uh, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Here's what he's doing in that moment. We're gonna, there's a big portion of scripture where we're going to break it up a little bit. And this is where that scripture, that uh, Psalm 100 verse 4 comes in. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is what it says. Giving thanks. However, beyond that, a step beyond that, it isn't just giving thanks for the sake of giving thanks. What you're doing in that moment is you're reminding yourself of what God has done. So Jehoshaphat receives this terrible news. Three armies are about to attack us. His response is, I'm going to seek the face of the Lord. His first place that he begins is giving thanks. God, didn't you drive out the people? You gave us this land. Aren't you the God of heaven? Aren't you this? He reminds God of who he is, and that isn't just a one-way street, but he actually reminds himself also of what God has done. So you might find yourself in a circle or a space where someone is saying, oh, you're under the economy, eh? Saying whatever they feel like they can say because... It's easy to sometimes just say whatever. Our first response could be that we choose to give thanks. We seek the face of the Lord and we choose to give thanks. God, didn't you do A? God, didn't you do B? God, aren't you this big? God, aren't you the God of this city? What that does, it takes your eyes off the problem and puts your eyes on the person that can fix the problem. And that is not exclusive or without your help or your work. It's a difficult thing not to just jump on a bandwagon, but choose to seek the face of the Lord, give thanks, and then choose to respond from that space of having given thanks. It's not easy, but we have to choose to do it because for the sake of this city, we need to be those kind of Christians. For the sake of the plans and the great vision that God has for this city, we need to be the people that choose to respond in such a way that when we speak about the city, it's in a, in a way that gives life. And it changes the atmosphere of the circles that we find ourselves in. So Jehoshaphat's first response, he gives thanks to the Lord. God, this is who you are. God, this is what you've done. 
that does far more for your spirit than I think it does for God. He knows those things. But for us, it changes our perspective. We are, our minds could have been clouded. Our thoughts could be a little bit clearer. Because now we're like, yeah, things are bad. But man, God is so good. So he entered God's gates with thanksgiving. As soon as he heard a problem, he entered God's gates with thanksgiving. Our first starting point, entering God's gates with thanksgiving. Yeah, there's a problem. I'm going to enter God's gates with thanksgiving. And carries on to say this. Uh, so I think from, I'll just read from verse 7. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, uh, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple bears your name, and we will cry out to you uh, in distress, and you will hear us and save us. Next thing I want to touch on, so we've heard about Thanksgiving. Now I want to speak about proclamation. So we've entered God's gates with Thanksgiving, and our spirits have somewhat changed, but now we begin to proclaim things over the city. We begin to speak things over the city even before we see the change happen. I'd say better yet before we see the change happen because that's what faith is. He begins to proclaim the, th the things that, number one, God has done, and I think it sets his mind to, God, to what God will do in the face of the fact that they are about to get attacked by three armies. Proclamation is where we uh, say things out of believing that this is what is going to happen because this is what has happened. God, you will not... Uh, oh, example. By your stripes, I am healed. It's in the word, but it can be a proclamation. You're proclaiming that you are going to get healed because God is the healer. God, we are going to see change in this city, and I pray that you use me. Proclamation. God, where I see a problem, I pray that I am part of the solution. Proclamation. We begin to proclaim God's work in us and through us for whatever problem we might see in this city. We've given thanks. Now we begin to proclaim out of the place of having given thanks. Our perspective has shifted and changed. Now we begin to proclaim out of... Uh, the goodness in our hearts, out of what we now see about who God is. No, no, this is who God is, and therefore this is what he will do. Guys are seeming really quiet. <laughs> this should be encouraging, so don't feel like I'm rebuking you. And he carries on to say this. But now, here are the men from Ammon, Moab, and Monsia, Mon <laughs> um, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. 
See that how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, that's so good. That is so good. Almost reaching a point where he reaches the end of himself. You know what? I can't fix this. I can't change the fact that this army is about to attack us. We can't change that. We don't know what to do, but God, our eyes are on you. Man, I pray that we are in circles where the problems are so big that our response is, I don't know what to do, but God, our eyes are on you. God, our eyes are on you. We need problems that are too big for us to face. Otherwise, we will not look to God to fix those problems. When a problem is manageable, history shows us that we choose to take things into our own hands. And between our hands and God's hands, things can very easily fail in ours, but they won't in God's. So I pray that we begin to see problems in this city that are too big for us to change. But our response is, I don't know what to do, but God, my eyes are on you. God, my eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat reaches the end of himself, and his only response, after having given thanks and proclaiming God's word, he realizes, you know what, I actually can't fix this, but I can choose to put my eyes on God. This story gets a whole lot more scandalous. So I hope you're still with me. Are you with me? Excellent. And this is what they begin to do. And the Spirit of the Lord came on uh, Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of, oh, geez, lineage. He said, <laughs> he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to do. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Oof. Oh, it's getting good in this house. Come on. <laughs> Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now we've seen this great big problem in the city. We reach the end of ourselves where our response is, you know, I don't know what to do, but I will keep my eyes on God. And then you reach this epiphany. It's actually, you know what, this problem isn't mine, but God's. There's something freeing about that. This problem is not mine, but God's. It's I don't know, it's like a, like a beautiful surrender. Doesn't mean that the problem goes away immediately. But you put yourself in a better position to hear what God says you should do next. Because that way, he isn't competing with the voice that's in your head. The problem is not yours, but God's. 
that doesn't mean that he will not choose to use you in his solution. In fact, I dare say that you are the solution. He cannot do this part of influencing a city without you. Well, he can, but I'm just, you know, words. It cares on to say this. Tomorrow, march down against them. You will not have to fight this battle. Whatever the problem you might see, march up against it. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from, uh, uh, yeah, that place, Kahoth the Tites and something, and Korahites, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a, loud, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left uh, for the desert of uh, Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood, stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Israel. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. I want to point back to that uh, Psalm 100 scripture where it says, Enter his courts with thanksgiving, I mean his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. So God didn't tell Jehoshaphat that they should praise. He sends, so now they're making their way to fight the battle, fight the problem. And somewhere between giving thanks proclaiming God's word, reaching the end of himself and realizing this is actually God's problem, but not mine. Somewhere within that, he reaches the conclusion, we need to lift up a sound to heaven. We need to praise. Here's what praise does. It reminds you of who God is. They're reminding themselves of who God is. Thanksgiving reminds you of what he's done. Praise reminds you of who he is. He might have healed you then, but it might not say that uh, you can't live on the healing. You can't give, live on thanksgiving alone. Because once he's healed you, now you know that God is a healer. So when you encounter a problem where uh, you need healing, you aren't praying for that same healing, but you're praying for God to heal you because that's who he is. Praise reminds us of who God is. So they were walking, making their way towards this battle, simply reminding themselves of who God is. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Imagine marching to an army and that's all you're saying the whole way there. It's bound to do something to your spirit. It's bound to do something to your heart. So as we leave and march towards whatever problem we might be facing in this city, man, I pray that we praise. You're the God of this city. All the way towards the problem. And it is bound to do something to your heart.
as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Monsia, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. This part gets a little bit gnarly. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men of Monsia to destroy and annihilate them. So these three armies were on their way to attack Jehoshaphat, but they then turn on one of the guys or one of the people in the army, one of the, the ites in the army. Just so that wasn't clear. After they finished slaughtering the men from Mount Seir, so now they've killed the men from Mount Seir, they then go on to kill each other. That is ridiculous. I love the Bible because of stories like this, but also don't read these, kids, these stories to your kids too soon. But now, so they're marching their way towards the problem. God does things and they destroy themselves. You're marching your way towards, uh, I don't know, like meeting with the mayor. And you might have received word that, yes, he's very hostile. But on your way, you're giving praise to God because of who he is. God is working in the mayor's heart. And when you get there to have your meeting, he's ready to welcome you with open arms. Hear whatever idea you might have. When we lift up a sound to heaven, God is bound to move. He cannot ignore the sound of our praise. So that's what they did. They lifted up a sound to heaven. These armies attack each other. And the better part is even coming. So now, after the annihilation, this is what they do. I don't know if that's actually in here. No, it isn't. So it says that they go and uh, plunder and uh, get all the good stuff that the armies left behind. So they took all the great possessions that those armies had with them. So imagine leaving a place knowing that you thinking that you're going to go fight a battle. And when you get there, all you do is just get good stuff. Get nice things and you go back to where you came from. But imagine God did that for you. Here's the big problem in the city. No one is noticing it. No one is choosing to fix it. You give thanks, you proclaim, you praise, and you march your way towards that problem. Where it might have seemed hostile, where it might have seemed like the odds were against you. Everyone saying that you shouldn't do this thing. You are not going to win. But because of giving thanks and praise, you know exactly who God is. You walk in there with the authority of heaven behind you. Have that meeting. Have that conversation. Start that business. Adopt that child. You go and do this thing. You thought it was going to be a fight, but in fact, you're going to reap the benefits. You're going to uh, gain blessing. Imagine we would live a life like that. How would this city look? How, <laughs> how would this city look when that's how we posture our hearts, no matter the problem we see in this city? The imagination is a beautiful thing. I love it so much. The mind fascinates me. But let's make whatever dream, whatever our imagination musters up, go do that thing. So wherever you find yourselves this morning, and whatever circle of influence you might find yourself, whatever people you find yourself talking to, whatever problems you might notice, here's what I want you to do. Write it down. Just simply write it down. 
and then begin to give thanks. You're not to see this, but man, God has done this and this and this and this. Proclaim scripture over that problem. God, you say in your word, A, B, C, D, E, and just breathe the word over it. Reach the end of yourself. The problem isn't yours, but it's God's. And then march to go fix it. And watch as God works. It's a brave way to live. But we can do it. We can do it. If Jehoshaphat can, man, what's stopping us? Somehow that just encourages me so much. I won't adopt a child just yet, but I'll do something. There's a way that you actually can do something. One of the ways is we are Durban. We are Durban is an incredible NGO. If you don't know what it is, uh, it's an NGO that helps other NGOs do what they do better. That is ingenious. And if you've been to any of their NPO conferences, you will not believe the kind of upskilling that they offer those NGOs. They are incredible. You should really poke your eye and just read up a bit. Go look them up. See what it is they actually do. The bucket drive, I think something of a, a thousand some change buckets given to people that don't have food. We are Durban. There's a little video that they made, yeah, infographic. Have a little, look, a little look, and I'll explain a little bit afterwards as well. It really wants to be known as the most caring and livable city in Africa. Durban is the <laughs> largest city in South Africa. Over 3,000 households are child-bearing. 36% rely on grants to survive. 3,000 sleep rough on the streets in the city, with a further 2,000 calling a night shelter home. Heroin and Wonga have affected many job seekers. No single focused entity can solve the social problems we face. We need a collaborative approach. We Are Durban aims to make sure every poor, widow and orphan of Etemini is taken care of. We partner with over 200 organizations who deal with human suffering, empowering them to excel in their mandate. Most organizations start with passion, but to make true impact, the business side must develop. That's where we and you come in. You can show that Durban cares by engaging in one of two ways. Volunteer professional skill. Make a monthly donation so we can employ another staff member. One staff member means 100 more organizations and about 10,000 more people in power. Let's make Durban all it was meant to be together. I don't know who that was, but that voice was, that voice was romantic. <laughs> so here's what I don't want you to hear, that, that's, um, that giving money is the only thing that you can do in towards solving the problems you might see and face in our city. But even if you do choose to do that, look for another problem that you might be the, the initiator or the pioneer of being the solution of. There's a lot that happens in this city. And I believe that God's people are the 
are strate strategically placed in this city to be part of the solution. Church doesn't exist just so we can huddle together on a Sunday, make each other feel great. But actually, the city should feel our impact. And if we were never here, they should notice. So go journey with God. Go look at some of the stuff that's actually happening in our city. That's only a few of the stuff that actually is happening in our city. And in your journey of giving thanks, praising Him, proclaiming the word, reaching the end of yourself and marching, I am pretty sure that God is going to do something. Not only in you, but possibly even in the people around you. And you won't be marching on your own. This is the climax of our series. And I sincerely hope and pray that it's done something in your hearts to see our city so much more differently than you have up until this point. You are God's handiwork. Created to do good works. Don't underestimate how much influence and authority and backing from heaven you might have. Before I close, um, I don't know if I'm closing on time here, Father Taylor. You know what? I'm black. We can do this for like two, three hours. <laughs> go full Baptist. You can go grab lunch, come back. I'll still be here. Um, but actually, a fun fact, a side note, actually, is uh, do you remember when I used to start preaching? Well, I started preaching up here. It used to be a fashion show a little bit how I used to dress when I'm preaching. Now, I look like the black young version of Paul. <laughs> I don't want to lose my roots. Next time I preach, it's on. Um, <laughs> hey, let's, let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we are... Uh, man, we can't begin to thank you enough for what you have done. I pray that it does something in our hearts to look forward to what you are going to do. There are greater things that are yet to come, yet to be done, for you are the God of this city. Whatever stirrings you might have had or put in people's hearts, I pray that, they, that we all begin to journey with that, walking with you, Marching to go face to army, understanding that the problem isn't ours, but it's yours. You're going to open doors. You're going to change minds and change hearts. As we see this city changed, help us to be a blessing. In your name we pray. Amen.